Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everybody, Neil I from The Vergecast. Big interview show this week. Dieter and I sat down with Sundar Pichai, CEO of Google. This was a jam-packed conversation. We talked about how the COVID-19 crisis is affecting every part of Google, from working with the government to changing consumer behavior across its apps and services, to battling conspiracies and misinformation on YouTube and search, to how Sundar is managing the company remotely as everyone works from home. We also got into how Sundar and Tim Cook discussed launching their exposure notification tracking system that's coming to iOS and Android. And you know I asked about that testing website. Of course, we also talked about Google's products, the future of the Pixel line, competing with companies like Apple and Samsung, and Dieter's favorite, RCS messaging. To be honest, we probably talked about messaging too much. There's a lot to take in over the next hour, but one thing I want you to pay attention to that really stuck out to me is Google's scale is so big, the company is so big, that all of Sundar's answers are really about frameworks. They're about structuring the problems so Google's teams can solve them. It's just the scale at which he has to think and the scale at which he organizes all the challenges that face Google. It's not super obvious, but once you notice it, it's definitely there. Check it out. Sundar Pichai, CEO of Google. Sundar Pichai, you're the CEO of Google. Welcome to the Vergecast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dieter Bone is joining me, of course. Hey, Dieter. Hey, how's it going? So, Sundar, you know, Google isn't doing I.O. this year. I.O. is usually a time when Dieter and I get to spend a bunch of time with you for a variety of reasons. It's not happening. So thank you for joining us. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's three things I really want to talk about. One, how Google is handling the pandemic. Two, how your business is being impacted. And three, I, you know, I talk to every CEO about how they manage their time. I'm confident that managing a company the size of Google remotely has changed that. Uh, so I want to talk about all that stuff, but there were two big stories about Google that are interesting to us and are important. I just want to ask two questions about that right away. The first was, there's a big NBC piece from April Glazer this week suggesting that your diversity efforts have been wound down. The company is not even using the word diversity internally anymore. Is that true? We are. I mean, diversity is a foundational value for us, uh, given, you know, given the scale at which we build products and the fact we do it globally for our users. You know, we are deeply committed to having that representation uh, in our workforce. I think we were one of the earliest companies to publish uh, transparency reports, and uh, we've shared that ever since. And we just released our uh, recent annual diversity report. And you know we have made modest progress uh, in in critical areas and long ways to go, uh, but it is really important. You know what what we are doing in the company is 
constantly at our scale. We look at efforts, see what works, what we can uh, scale up better. Uh, all I can say is we probably have more resources uh, invested in diversity now than at any point uh, in our history as a company. So in terms of the scale and the resources we put in. The other part of that report, which is interesting to talk about, because we hear about it in regards to Facebook a lot, and I don't think we've ever really asked anybody to Google about it, the idea that the criticism from the sort of conservative side of the aisle is something you're more responsive to with these initiatives, with how you're running a company. Is that something you think about in terms of who's criticizing you from where? Uh, look, our diversity efforts, we don't bring any any such lens to it. I mean, we are, you know, if you look at, you know, there are many areas where we are still as an industry and as a company dramatically underrepresented. And, you know, so there's there's a, a long way for us to go. And we've just not had that consideration. I think independently, just within the company, you know, over the, we have definitely made efforts to make sure, uh, you know, the company can accommodate viewpoints and no one feels uh, they're not part of the company, regardless of their political viewpoints, amongst other things, too. But that's about it. But I think these are two independent things. So the uh, the other big story that uh, hit yesterday from the day we were recording was over at the information about uh, Mario Caros and Mark Lavoie sort of quietly leaving the division and uh, the Pixel uh, sales numbers maybe not being super great. Uh, is the is the Pixel business sort of living up to uh, where, you, where you hoped it would be right now? You know, overall, maybe I'll comment on the hardware and then talk about Pixel 2. Um, you know, it's been, um, you know, a few years, last couple of years has been a, a kind of a major integration phase for us because we've combined, you know, our Google hardware efforts with Nast. Uh, we absorbed uh, the mobile division of HTC. And so it's been, it's been a lot of uh, stitching together. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, wide product portfolio too. So it's definitely been a building phase. Uh, super committed to it for the long run. You know, hardware, uh, you know, is hard. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it definitely has components of it which take real time to get it right. You know, thinking about underlying silicon or display or camera or any of those stacks. Uh, and so we are definitely investing in it with that, that timeline. And we have had, you know, I think we've made a lot of progress. Uh, Pixel 3a last year was one of our highest NPS rated products ever that we had launched and, you know, and definitely even benchmarked outside. So to me, it's a clear indication we have made a lot of progress too. We just launched Pixel Buds this week, which you guys covered. Thank you. Uh, you know, to, uh, you know, a good reception and uh, our Nest Home and Nest Home of products are uh, definitely doing well. And so, you know, we take a long-term view. Uh, you know, we are not in it just for phones alone. Uh, we kind of have a vision of where computing needs to go. And I think it's really hard to drive that vision without doing hardware, software, and services together. You have to think at the intersection of uh, intersection of it. So I see, I, I see a lot of value in thinking about it and doing it uh, that way. We are definitely going to have hiccups. We are a nascent player in a, uh, in a really complex space. And so uh, not everything is going to be smooth. But, you know, am I excited about our portfolio for later this year? Or, you know, uh, or especially if I take a longer term view, because some of the deeper efforts we are putting in will take three to four years to, to actually play out. And, and when they come in, I think I'm excited about how they will shape, uh, shape where we are going as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've I, I've asked you sort of how how serious are you about hardware? I feel like 
every year since you you created the division. Uh, and we always sort of sort of like with self-driving cars, look at well, it'll be a five year time frame. It'll be a five year time frame. Uh, and that that five year time frame sort of just always seems to it always seems to be five years out. So when you say you're in it for the the long term, is that is that still sort of even today the time frame that you're thinking of for it really bringing back like really serious results in terms of big sales numbers or, or big influence in the market? Or are you looking for something more immediate? You know, I mean, we think about our hardware efforts, obviously, uh, in the context of our overall computing efforts and, you know, and, and in addition to what our ecosystem is doing. So we take that into account. I do think it's important we build a sustainable business financially, too, If we, because I look at the level of investment, you know, hardware needs and, and both in terms of all the technology R&D you need to do, the kind of supply chain you need to develop, as well as the go-to-market investments you need. So it's a deep, deep investment. So to do it well, I think you have to do it with a clear financial sustainability goal. And, you know, I think so that's important. So for me, three reasons. One is to drive computing forward. The second is we really guide our ecosystem, you know, and the best way I can think of is pretty much everything we have done well you can go all the way back in uh, Android's early days. You know, Samsung Galaxy Nexus, which we worked together, was a pivotal phone. Nexus 7 in the tablet world. Uh, I can point to, you know, Chromebooks all along. We did our original hardware to kind of bootstrap it. And I look at areas maybe where we haven't done uh, opinionated area. So maybe watch is a good example where, you know, we haven't. <laughs> and then you can see it's tough to guide guide an ecosystem to what your vision of it is, just building the underlying platform. So I, I think that's the second reason. And third is to really build a sustainable hardware business. So all, you know, I think all of it are uh, important and that's how I think about it. And I'm excited, you know, Rick and team working closely with Hiroshi and team, you know, they have that long-term view and, uh, you know, it's, it's, so we are pretty committed to it. So you, you're the CEO of Alphabet now, in addition to Google. I mean, how how much of your time do you actually even get to devote to hardware? Are you, are you looking at prototypes? Is it is it just sort of a one meeting in a week, or is it a you know larger part of your time? It's just a coincidence. I think uh, you know I spent I spent my morning uh, with the team today today talking about uh, okay. our uh, uh, portfolio for uh, next year. A- anything you want to tell us? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you guys are going to figure it out anyway. So, <laughs> so uh, no, but, you know, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I do I do have, uh, you know, it is really the teams underneath, you know, Rick and Hiroshi drive these efforts. And, you know, but I, uh, you know, I try to spend time on the, you know, in a more step back way on some of the bigger things they are doing over time. And, and, and you know, those few important uh, moments, I think. Dieter was pointing out he just reviewed the the Galaxy A fifty one. That's right, it's a cheap phone. He gave it a seven. I saw the intro to the video where you said this phone sells more than the Galaxy. I actually watched the video, so oh, thanks. There you go. Uh, and it actually was the top selling phone uh, last quarter worldwide. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I learned it from watching your video, which is which is kind of <laughs> interesting. Maybe I should have known that, but yeah. Well, so I mean, that's that, that, that's the question here. That when we think about your phones coming out, we think about are you competitive with the flagship Samsung devices? We think are you competitive with the iPhones? But the the bulk of the market is down there. Is at three ninety nine, four ninety nine. Is that where you want to be, or do you want to go make a big flagship phone and and take share away from the top of the market? You know, I think, you know, we definitely, you know, the, the area where we have demonstrated the strongest value proposition, that's why I gave the 3A example, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's where we uh, clearly have demonstrated it. Uh, but having said that, you know, we, 
uh, you know, uh, our high-end, and if you want to drive computing forward, that high-end is where you're going to also keep moving the needle. And, you know, it's, it's, it's where we are putting a lot of our effort into. So you will continue to see us, uh, you know, invest in both, you know, both, both ends of the spectrum. And, you know, we care all the way, obviously, working with our ecosystem to, you know, entry-level devices. And, you know, I'm deeply passionate about that. Uh, but definitely, the high-end is something where, you know, we're putting a lot of effort in. But that's where I think some of the underlying investments, uh, you know, pay, you know, it's kind of uh, accumulates over time because, you know, it takes two to three years to do some of the deeper investments you need to do it really well. Are you seeing, uh, especially now with everyone at home, are you seeing big changes in consumer behavior in terms of buying hardware? Or, or is everyone going out and buying, buying Nest cameras or they feel like they don't need them because they're at home anyway? Uh, <laughs> is anything changing for you there? You know, on the, you know, obviously, you know, on the software side, you know, uh, you know, we have clearly seen impact in terms of usage across several of our products. Some products have been negatively affected too, uh, you know, and so, you know, but we can clearly measure it. Hardware is, is a bit more complex because really gated by um, the supply chain got affected for different products in different ways. And, and demand has definitely been affected too. Uh, some of it is to, to do with, uh, uh, you know, lack of retail working well and all that stuff. So, you know, I think it will, it is tough to exactly forecast what demand will come back, how will it affect, uh, affect uh, you know, uh, affected. So for me, it feels too early to tell. Well, let's, let's skip into sort of the broader business of Google, how it's going. Dieter asked that question about consumer behavior. I just have this guess. I'm going to ask you. Is maps usage way down? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, uh, <laughs> you alone not using it is probably contributing. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> no, it, it did. You know, it did have a significant. You know, uh, directly, obviously, as people were in driving around, you clearly saw an impact. Interesting to me was maybe over the last uh, two to three weeks, we definitely see users coming back to it, looking for local information. And and so definitely we see activity back around people trying to find services, what's around, what's open. So people are exploring and discovering local services again. So, you know, and so there is this clear uh, inflection, but, you know, not clear what that fully means, but that's where it is. And then in your broader business, obviously, Google makes the bulk of its revenue in advertising. We have felt the effects of the advertising market changing the whole world has felt the effects of the advertising market changing. How are you seeing those effects hit Google? What are you doing to manage against them? You know, uh, you know, as I spoke about it in the earnings call, you know, we clearly, you know, uh, compared to Jan and Feb, uh, we clearly saw the impact in uh, in 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 March, and uh, you know, so for sure, Google is not immune to the global economy. In some ways, it's representative across all sectors. So clearly, as entire sectors have been affected, uh, you know, travel being a, uh, you know, particularly severe example of it, uh, we have definitely felt that uh, across the board. Uh, what's interesting for us, it's historically been true compared to past cycles too. Search is something uh, which is, uh, you know, very highly ROI-driven, performance-oriented. And so advertisers adapt. Uh, they pull back quickly. We see demand shifts, people capitalizing on it. Uh, so... You know, maybe people, if you know, you see activity in office furniture instantly, right? And so right. you can kind of see the economy adapt in real time. 
And so it's fascinating to see it that way. But, you know, for sure, it's definitely impacted our uh, business. So uh, I know you, in, in your earnings call, you, you sort of hinted that, you know, this wasn't going to turn around for you right away next quarter. We're in, we're in for a, a tough time for a while. But coming out of this in, I don't know, however long it takes, a year or two, however long, do you think that the ad market is going to look substantially similar to what it looked like a year ago? Or... Are you sort of thinking that like things are going to fundamentally change in in your ad business or in your business generally in a way that uh, you're able to look at now, or is it just way too early to tell? It's too hard to forecast. That's where we at. Where we're at. We're just you know we're not really sure what things are going to look like. I'm curious what, how you see it. Yeah, you know, I, it, um, it's it's the question which is on a lot of our minds. What are the trends you're seeing, which will kind of revert back to the mean, um, and you know what is it that is kind of here to stay and uh, stay well. Will travel ever return to what it was before, and 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 so on. You know, I tend to think. You know, uh, obviously tough to predict with the nature of the virus, how long it'll be. Um, you know, we generally assume it'll be uh, the effects will be there for a while, and you know, and and we act. You know, I think it's the right way to think about it uh, as a company. You know, we we assume that uh, you know it's going to take a while to recover, and you know, and planning for it that way. But you know, it's it's a bit bit hard for me to say. Um, I do think people, I mean, human needs are pretty fundamental, I think, in terms of uh, being social, wanting to meet people. You know, so I do think, uh, like, personally, I can't wait to be back in a, uh, I wish I could go watch a football game or, you know, something, you know, so. Cricket, come on. Uh, cricket is true, too, but, uh, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, so, but that's a bit tougher for me to get to. Fair, fair. I didn't manage it last year. I'm glad I did. But, you know, so, I mean, I think about it that way. Would I like to go to a, a music concert or so? The answer is yes. And, you know, so I think the innate human need is there. Uh, but I think it'll be a while before we get back to it. So I expect it to uh, be kind of a slow, steady recovery. How are you thinking about the general push to, to reopen, right? Google, you, you've said people are going to work from home through 2020. What are you thinking about for Google? And then broadly, how do you... How are you thinking about this push to reopen, particularly in in the United States? You know, early on, I felt you know we were one of the first to go to work from home, uh, partly because I think it, it you know we made sense for the health and safety of our employees. I felt given a lot of our work could be done from home, it made sense for us to contribute to social distancing. Clearly, the needs vary widely ac across different groups. So we talked about hardware earlier. You know, definitely having access to testing equipment, labs, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really important, right? You can't test whether something works in 5G unless you can actually uh, <laughs> be in that testing uh, environment, right? And so uh, so varies widely across teams. And we are going to be conservative on the return back uh, for, for, the, for the broad company. When the local ordinance allows, I think, you know, we'll probably start with trying to get, you know, 10 to 15 percent of the company back. Uh, so prioritizing people who actually, you know, kind of need to be there. And that way we can really have a de-densified environment, have a lot of uh, safety procedures in place. And just because we are talking about 10 to 15 percent capacity uh, doesn't mean that many people. We can rotate and actually get more people in once or twice a week. And, and you have people in you know, two different buckets, right? There are people who really want to come back and, you know, and, and, you know, and they miss it. And especially at Google, I think over 20 years, we have genuinely invested in our physical spaces 
and the culture it creates with a view towards like, you know, having people work well together. And so I think there are people who miss that part of the experience, depending on what your personal situation is. And then there are people on the other uh, set of the spectrum who would, you know, who want to be conservative. And so we are trying to make that play out. But, you know, I expect by the end of the year, uh, we'd be at, uh, you know, 20 to 30% capacity, which may still mean we are able to get, you know, 60% of our employees once a weekend or something like that. And so that's what we mean where a vast majority of employees we think will likely work from home through the end of the year. Um, but it's a very fluid situation. If things, of course, uh, look better, uh, we will adapt to it. You know, we want to be flexible. Uh, you know, trying to really understand what works, what doesn't work in this. Are you thinking uh, longer term in terms of number of people that might work from home or work remotely? I know Twitter just announced eh, forever you can you can work from home for as long as you want. Are, are you thinking in that way too, or uh, are you going to wait and see how things play out? You know, in some ways, I mean, it's 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 you know, uh, I'm I want to be driven by data here, and so I kind of want to you know, I view it as a research phase and see where the data leads us. So in some ways, I'm glad Twitter is running a, you know, kind of one end of the spectrum experiment. So thanks, Jack. And so it's good to see that, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that end of the spectrum. We are definitely, look, the productivity is down in certain parts. And what is not clear to me is um, in the first two months, most of the people are already on projects in which they kind of know what they need to do. Hmm. But, you know, the next phase which will kick in is where, let's say, you're designing next year's products and you know, you're know you in a brainstorming phase, things are more unstructured. How does that collaboration actually work? Uh, you know, that's a bit hard to understand and, uh, and do. So we are trying to understand what works well and what doesn't. I'm gonna be, you know, we're probably gonna be conservative in it. We wanna make sure things work well, but coming out of it all, you know, do we all learn and have more flexibility in how we think about this? I think so, yeah, that's how I would, I would bet towards. I'm going to take this moment to somehow transition and ask you about messaging strategy. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> How can I do a Verge podcast without <laughs> discussing about our... Pop quiz, Hotshot. Name all the products. Our entire complexity in messaging is to make sure Verge has plenty of material to work with. Every morning I come in and I say, Casey and Dieter, let's, let's write them all down. Um, yeah, but this is... Uh, Google has historically been good at dogfooding and using its own products. Obviously, this is a moment to use these products in a way that maybe it never been stressed before. You added gallery view to meet. We're using meet right now. That seems like a button that should have been there. And suddenly everybody realized it's there and they're like snap it's there, but there are some bigger competitors or some more consumer focused companies that are succeeding like zoom. Is this a moment of clarity for you to say, we actually have to win this. We know what we need to do because we're using our own products as much as we are. You know, it's, it's definitely an important moment. You know, we had, you know, we, uh, you know, we had, you know, we, we brought Javier in uh, a few months ago before all this uh, with, a, you know, with a clear view, you know, so we had a clear sense of where we wanted to go. So some of the efforts were uh, clearly underway. And in some ways, uh, when, when COVID hit, we weren't fully done with all the changes we had wanted to make. Uh, and so we got, I think, the irony of the Google Meet team working remotely to make and iterate the product to get it to where they wanted it to be, uh, you know, was uh, was very interesting to see. And uh, and one of ha Javier has a very, very long commute. And one of his biggest concerns was commute when he was joining. And well, <laughs> he's doing it all virtually now. Uh, but, you know, it, it is an important moment. Uh, you know, many schools, many organizations already use 
uh, Google Meet, and you know, so we are doubling down. We obviously, COVID has blurred the lines between consumer and enterprise, and people are using products in all kinds of contexts. And so, uh, definitely, you know, we are using it as an opportunity to make Google Meet and Google Chat and scale it up and make it more available. And and obviously. We are a service provider. We are a platform too, hence RCS and all the work we are uh, doing. Uh, RCS is where we are like United Nations. We try to herd uh, a bunch of people. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so it's making better progress than it appears because it's kind of like you're collecting so many people together on it. And, you know, as people sign up, you will see more and more momentum. So all of that is coming together well, I think. And I'm glad, you know, we have realigned it uh, everything, uh, you know, with Javier, and he works both with uh, our cloud team, with Thomas, and our platforms team at Hiroshi. And so I think I think we'll get to the right place. I'm very excited. Uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with Javier, uh, Javier Soltero, he runs G Suite, and he also has now taken over uh, just more of the communications products. And so he's working on both the sort of cloud side and the uh, and Hiroshi side, basically. Um, and actually, I mean, you brought up RCS, you, you know, you know like I'm going to ask. red meat to Dieter right here. This was a rare moment where I am like, because I know Dieter wants to talk about it. So I had to, <laughs> well, I had to go there. Let me, let, me, let me zag a little bit. One of the really interesting things uh, from talking to, to Javier and Hiroshi actually was, um, you know, I complained that, oh, there's, there's too many messaging products. I, I, can't, I can't really tell what's for what. And they brought up this point that, that you just made about sort of the enterprise and consumer getting a little bit closer together and also pointing out that it's okay for there to be different products for different contexts. And so, you know, I'm wondering in an age when um, Facebook is saying we are going to integrate all of our messaging products and we're going to put everything under under a full end-to-end encryption, do you think that Google having multiple products in sort of multiple contexts is still the way to go or do you think there needs to be more integration there? I mean, we definitely want to have a more integrated, simplified view, but in all scenarios, I see our platform offering, right? And, you know, Android is open as part of the open platform stack. I think you need a open standards-based uh, messaging framework, and we have to evolve that from its SMS days, and that's RCS for me. And, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, we'll continue doing that in all scenario because I think, you know, that's part of building that open stack. I don't see that changing. But in terms of our services, you know, I want it to be as simplified for people as possible. And, you know, I think we've made great strides compared to where we were with Google Meet and Chat. Of course, we have Duo. We had intended Duo for consumers and Google Meet and Chat for uh, businesses effectively. But the lines have blurred and, you know, and so they share a lot of common underlying technology. They both built on WebRTC and you know, and so there's a lot of common work, and given it's common teams, hopefully we can uh, iterate uh, and and, but some flexibility. I think it's it's fine here. Yeah. When you talk about RCS as the UN, there's a lot of progress, but you can't see it. Which, by the way, is a, like a perfect analogy for the UN. <laughs> you know, we started out by talking about phones. One of the reasons Apple's phones are so sticky is they have a great messaging product. Do you think that that is connected? You need a great sticky messaging product to move people over. You know. Let me give a user answer and a technical answer too. You know, from a user standpoint, you know, people, any Android phone you, you get up, you always want a, uh, you know, a phone number based, uh, you know, messaging product which you're going to create, and you know, you want something which comes with the platform, and and so you know, and we are trying to align that and that integration, that working, 
I think it's critical. And and so uh, and so I, I do feel it's an important part and where Android has been behind. And so, you know, I think it's it's important there. Technically, different OEMs and different carriers having different RCS implementation was one of the biggest causes of fragmentation in Android. You know, it, it caused real pain and and you know, so simplifying that is a tremendous multiplier in terms of productivity and efficiency and simplicity. Uh, you know, and so for both reasons, I think it's important to for us to invest and get it right. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so we lured you here by saying we were going to talk about the pandemic. <laughs> We've mostly talked about messaging. I want to make sure we talk about the pandemic. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like your team prepped you well. Uh, but I do want to talk about that, and the, you, you had to know this question was coming. Um, I keep track every week of when Trump and his team held up the flowchart and said, you know, some X thousand Google engineers are working on it. Uh, just walk me through that day. Did you expect that to come the next day? Trump said you, someone from Google had called and apologized to him. Did that happen? Just what was that set of days like? You know, uh, very early on through COVID, um, you know, we 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 decided as a company we should you know do everything where you know areas where our expertise could help, and you know, and so we had a wide set of efforts. I think there were two efforts, and we were in touch with the coronavirus uh, task force. And there were two efforts. One is both in terms of what Google can do to provide more information. And Verily was working on uh, a way to, you know, develop wide, wide scale testing, uh, particularly with an emphasis on drive through testing with a focus on first responders. And so we were in touch on both efforts. And, you know, and so that's that's what it was. And, you know, uh, today, I think Verily right now is in 86 uh, sites across 13 states and, you know, and that's what that effort was. And, you know, and it's obviously uh, taken more time than, you know, most of us expected to get there, but there were real constraints along the way. But, you know, I think we've made a lot of progress. You know, my, my view on this is at a time of a global pandemic, 
we want to do everything we can to help uh, the U.S. government succeed. And so, you know, we are trying to play our role in it. I'm just going to ask you directly. Did, did you call President Trump and apologize? You know, my discussions were with, uh, you know, task force. And so that's that's who I was talking to. OK, yeah, I mean, because it, it's quite a quote. And I it just struck me at that time that the d- distinction between Google and Verily was not being well made. And so I, I think my follow up here is, is that clearer now? Is it Verily that's doing because you're the CEO of Alphabet. Verily is under Alphabet. You're also the head of Google, which is theoretically next to it. I think we were communicating across um, you know, two areas. We were communicating both. You know, I, I do feel like you know, the onus is on us as a company to clarify and be clear in terms of how we are communicating. And you know, I don't think we got everything right uh, in terms of uh, communicating across the two groups which we're talking back and forth. And so, you know, so I just wanted to make sure we were clear uh, in terms of how we were communicating. So what what now is the relationship between Verily and Google? Is are, are you still volunteers working on the Verily project? Yeah, so we definitely, you know, it's you know, because they're both under uh, Alphabet, you know, I would, I would view it as, uh, you know, areas where we help. So sometimes, you know, Google is doing work on healthcare, Verily is doing work on healthcare. If, you know, we share resources where we need to, uh, sometimes there could be a AI breakthrough from Google, which is what Verily uses to commercialize and, but, you know, at a, at a technical level, we can exchange ideas. At a regulatory level, we work together to have, uh, you know, the compliance process and, you know, all, all the framework we built in. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited at the uh, progress uh, Verily is making as well. Do you find that separation as like, you know, sort of two separate companies under one umbrella still useful? Or has your thinking changed about, you know, the distinction between Alphabet Company Verily and Alphabet Company Google? You know, I mean, there are, I mean, it's a good question. There are many areas where I find the distinction to actually, uh, you know, help because, you know, when you take something like Waymo and, you know, the time frame it needs to operate in, dealing with a very different set of issues than, you know, building a typical internet product. Uh, you know, I, I like the fact that there is structural separation, that the, that the Google management team doesn't have to sit and think through that breadth and they can, they can be more focused. And allows us to play these different bets with the different characteristics they would need and different time horizons and, and so on. So I think, to me, Alphabet creates that flexibility. Und- the underlying com- commonality across all of Alphabet is we think it has to be a deeper, uh, you know, technology play, you know, you know, something based on some foundational technology to solve something. That's the underlying c- commonality. And, you know, and Google is broadly focused on the internet space. And, you know, if it is distinctly different from that and, you know, allows us to still apply technology, maybe share common things like AI and innovation or data centers and innovation, but, you know, can have the right structure, right incentives, right approach uh, to go tackle that, uh, that problem. And so I think it's been, it's been really helpful to have that flexibility. You know, I think I would expect Sometime we may look at something and say, hey, it's in Google. Maybe it makes sense to be more in Alphabet or vice versa. And it doesn't mean, you know, that we precisely, we created that structure to create that flexibility. And, you know, that's what, that's what uh, you know, uh, sometimes we end up, you know, Nest is a good example of, you know, it made more sense that it's aligned closer with the hardware team. And obviously there's convergence there. So that's what uh, taught us to align it and, and mm. so on. So there's a couple kind of big, health initiatives inside the Alpha umbrella. Verily is one of them. This is a moment, I think, for biotech, for health sciences. 
would you say Verily is entirely now focused on COVID and the pandemic, or is it one of many things it's doing? It's one of many things. Uh, you know, they definitely feel, uh, you know, there are a lot of folks there who are, uh, you know, doctors and, uh, you know, healthcare people. And so by, you know, by obviously, you know, by calling, they feel motivated to help at a moment like that. And, and uh, you know, and so there is a lot of uh, focus, but, you know, they are focused on, you know, areas like diabetes, so longer term disease. I mean, so they're clearly focused on other aspects of healthcare as well, and they'll continue doing that. And so those are big developed efforts already underway. Google's doing a bunch of other stuff around the coronavirus and COVID-19. What are, what are some of those other things outside of the, the website, which, you know? Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, it's a, it's a big part, you know, uh, you know, by now I would say, you know, we have, we've committed over a billion dollars in various ways, uh, be it uh, grants to public health organizations, add credits to small, medium businesses, and then working in each country through the official agencies uh, direct loan programs uh, to small, uh, small, medium businesses as well. We have undertaken efforts on PPE. Uh, there's a deep work we have done on ventilators uh, out of Rick's team. And, uh, you know, obviously our support for schools uh, through products like Meet. Uh, we have provided Chromebooks access. And so uh, it spans a wide variety of effort and, and obviously, you know, uh, uh, Exposure notification, uh, you know, and, and the work in contact tracing has been a big effort jointly with uh, Apple as well. So th- I definitely wanted to ask about that. It is not often that Google and Apple collaborate at this level. How did that come about? What was your conversation with Tim Cook like? How is it? How's it going in terms of the two companies working together? No, it's 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 been uh, you know a uh, really terrific effort. Uh, you know, it started. I think both of us saw the problem and saw the opportunity to do something and the teams had started working on it. And at the right point, you realize, you know, in this, in this problem, particularly to do it well, we saw some of the earlier app efforts actually struggling to work well. And so we realized as platform providers, you know, we really want to make it easy and to make it work at scale, uh, obviously with user consent and privacy protection. And the team started talking. They saw an opportunity to do it better. Uh, you know, so Tim and I connected and, you know, we talked and we said, uh, let's announce it jointly. And, you know, that, that helps clarify that we're going to approach it consistently. And so, you know, for public health organizations planning, you know, we wanted to give a clear commitment and, and a framework that they can actually invest and we are going to support it as a platform. And, you know, since we have done, we, we, we are, you know, we continue, uh, you know, the teams talk, you know, almost, I would say, you know, multiple times a week uh, across the two companies. And we are in conversations with uh, public health organizations around the world. And you will see, and there are large uh, countries where they are fully developing uh, a, a service on top of it. And, you know, and our goal here is to have one more toolkit uh, in, in, you know, all, all the efforts you need to do to manage, uh, manage COVID, we wanted to make sure we created the option value and give, add one more, uh, you know, step in that toolkit. I want to provide a window. I think most people don't get to see, uh, people in positions like yours make decisions when you're on the phone with Tim Cook, what was, what was a problem that needed the two of you to solve or a decision that it needed the two of you to make on a project like this? You know, in, you know, maybe one example I would give, uh, you know, and when Tim and I talked, you know, it was mainly actually deciding to just 
actually go public and lay it all out and uh, earlier than both companies would normally do in a process like this. You know, we would have probably normally waited to develop, hash out more issues fully, but we both realized given the public nature of it, uh, given the responsible conversation you need to have with, uh, you know, societies, uh, many societal institutions as part of it, it was important that we put it out and shared details and engaged in a conversation. So we basically made the decision. I think the team said maybe differing timelines on when, when this should be announced. And so we talked through and we decided to announce it sooner rather than later. So you and I have talked previously about uh, Google's responsibility when it comes to AI and making sure AI was ethical. With this, you're in the middle of um, a pandemic. You're in the middle of a whole bunch of different countries with their own health organizations. How do you think about your responsibility as the CEO of Google in this pandemic? Because from a certain perspective, it like rises to like a like a governmental level of a social contract with users. Or you know, you could you could say no, no, we're just a tech company. So how do you see that? I mean, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I mean, this is definitely, you know, it's a one in a hundred year kind of issue we are dealing with. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's important, you know, I, I want to do everything we can always be aware that we are a company, you know, private company working through a, a you know, extraordinarily public moment. We clearly have products which people come and rely on. And so doing that well, both in terms of providing you know, high quality information and getting it right, you know, trumps, uh, you know, everything, uh, you know, as we as we handle that. And that is the biggest way by which we can uh, we can do well. And and beyond that, you know, supporting our uh, employees, supporting the communities we operate in, all that go hand in hand. And and then there are longer term efforts where because we, we have deep technological underpinnings, we can bring that technology to bear. Uh, to support either healthcare organizations and so on. So, but that's the way I think about it. I think it's an important moment where the big companies need to step up. Uh, but I think you have to do it in a construct in which you realize you're a private company and you're one small part of uh, a, you know a, a big value chain to solve this. So that's an interesting way of putting it because at the, at the same time, you know, some of the problems you're solving are, are new, right? We're going to use the Bluetooth radios and everybody's cell phone to do exposure notification. I think historically that's a new idea. And I think people have had that before. It's obviously got a bunch of new problems to solve. On the flip side, there are some very old problems to solve here. Are people getting reliable information? Can they trust their leaders? Can they trust the, the companies that they rely on? Google obviously provides a lot of information in search. They provide a lot of information in YouTube. There have been some massive coordinated disinformation campaigns on both of those platforms. Sort of next to what you're saying, Facebook just recently announced what amounts to like a worldwide Supreme Court for free speech on its platform. Are you thinking you need to do something at that scale to manage the the very old problems of reliable information on your platforms? You know, I mean, the, you know, it's, it's it's the foundation of what our company is built on. You know, search was designed to you know across the web to surface the highest quality information. So it's something we've thought about for. For a long time, you know, obviously uh, the challenges have gotten more complex and harder for sure. And so I think, you know, we have evolved our approaches too. So I'm, I'm following every, what everybody is doing with, with a lot of interest here. Uh, so, for example, in YouTube, I would say over the past maybe, you know, four years, we have definitely for categories of information relied on external experts. Right. And, you know, we partner so, for example, around violent extremism, we partner with counter 
extremism organizations, right? And so we we tap their expertise to uh, help shape our policies, right? And as we evolved our hate and harassment policies last year, we consulted with many organizations, we took inputs. So I think relying on uh, deep experts, other nonprofit institutions, uh, governmental expertise, uh, you know, is a natural way we want to approach our work. And, and, and so I think, I think, you know, to me, you know, whether you set up a oversight board, you know, I, I will look to see what the learnings from it are and definitely going to study that. Uh, you know, I think it's important to understand that. I think we are going to be flexible. If we find something works, uh, we will be very open to adopting it. And, but we ourselves, I think directionally, have really worked hard to bring outside input uh, in terms of policy definition and, and, and so on. And so, and that's how we generally think about it too. All right. Well, I know we only have a, a few minutes left with you. So I want to just ask about how you are managing Google. Like virtual listeners know, I tend to end all these interviews by saying, how do you manage your time? Uh, and that question, it used to have one kind of very clear set of answers. Now, now it's all different. So just you as CEO of Google, you're obviously managing a giant company remotely. You're dealing with governments. You're dealing with your own employees. You're dealing with this stuff. How are you currently just managing your time operating the company? You know, I think, uh, you know, I've tried to have two parallel tracks. One is explicitly, you know, th- there's a definite focus on COVID response. And so, you know, I do, um, I'm spending a significant chunk of my time on something like that, which, you know, I wasn't spending, you know, two months ago. But also making sure the company operationally is focused on, uh, you know, continuing to pursue all the efforts they are doing and, and being able to compartmentalize and do that too. And so, not, uh, you know, I'm making sure there are meetings which just have a real sense of normalcy. And that's why I gave the example of uh, the earlier morning meeting today when I was reviewing our, uh, you know, uh, product plan for next year, you know, is, is just a normal meeting, which I would have done. And so being able to do what, what surprised you in that meeting, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I would say, you know, it's just, uh, it is just timelines are hard to plan around. So that's, you know, literally, you know, your disruptions are, you know, kind of concerning. So when you, uh, you know, plan timelines and they are, they're for sure hard, uh, it's not a surprise. It's what, what was different about the meeting. But, uh, you know, I almost got you. Oh, yeah, I almost. But yeah, that's why I'm laughing. <laughs> Can you imagine if I showed back to the teams and say, like, you know, they're like, Whoa, you know, so I'm glad I didn't do anything. I mean, I, I can't imagine it. It'd be great. So you're having meetings with, on sort of a normal cadence with a sense of normalcy. What has shifted for you and how you're managing your time? I mean, it's tougher to, you know, it all feels, I mean, the, the art of doing this and, you know, I, I'm actually talking to others who have worked from home before and, you know, and actually the line I heard was uh, working from home is as much about not working from home too. And so, mm. and, you know, I think that's been harder, right? You know, how do you kind of uh, draw the boundaries? I miss transitions, you know, giving me a chance to drive and think about stuff and process and, you know, and, and so... Uh, on one hand, it's a bit more efficient because you can move across, uh, you know, what we are doing right now might have taken a lot more time, maybe not as in a, a podcast, but, you know, sometimes you are, uh, you know, you're going places, but I missed the transition. I missed that space to think quietly. And, you know, and so for, for me, that's definitely something I need to progress uh, better. But, you know, I'm managing my time. You know, I have a clear sense of these are the f- you know, major areas in the company I want to spend and percentage of my time I'm going to spend on it. 
And, you know, I actually look back at my calendar uh, every three months to see whether I spent the time, my time on the things I wanted to spend. And, you know, I've always done that. And, you know, and, and so any aberrations that come out, then, you know, I step back and think, what can I do structurally to make sure I get back to how I want to spend my time? And so it's a constant iterative process. And sometimes you look back in horror and you realize you got it wrong and then you course correct. So that's how I think about it. So the classic question I ask is, when do you work? Because it's a question I'm very focused on. It sounds like you did a lot of your time working and thinking in those transitions. How are you building that time now? Or is that something you're just working on? Uh, you know, it's, it's a good question. You know, I'm, I'm trying to force block times uh, on, on the calendar uh, specifically to read and, uh, you know, think. And so, you know, the, so I, I think it's hard to do, you know, but actually block the time and, you know, and, and do that. That's how I, I had the time to watch your uh, Galaxy A51 video, right? And, you know, sometimes <laughs> just trying to understand what's going on and, you know, spend time uh, outside from. So I think carving out that thinking time is, is, is one tool I have. But, you know, drawing boundaries is something I'm working on as well. Uh, you know, definitely picking up hobbies, which I never thought I had before, but, you know, m- you know made pizza last weekend m- from scratch, <laughs> thanks to some YouTube <laughs> cooking video. And so it turned out okay. And so things like that too helps. And then I guess my last question, I know we're, we're out of time. I can see your guys have both turned on their cameras to, <laughs> to let me know that we're out of time. But as you look out, over the course of this next year, over the course of the crisis unfolding, what are the leading indicators of change that you're looking at that maybe other people aren't looking at? Maybe that's specific to Google. Maybe it's broader than that. But what are the signals that you see? You have access to a lot of signal. What are the signals you see that indicate change is coming one way or the other? You know, it's, it's, it's effectively, you know, user pattern shifts, you know, trying to understand is telemedicine a real thing? Does it sustain? Or, you know, is it just something people do and but people revert back to what they how they do things? So, you know, following, looking at recovery patterns and seeing where you're actually seeing a difference, you know, long-run difference is what, you know, we are trying to tease out and understand where we can. And, you know, very interested in, uh, you know, how does work culture shift? How does travel and meeting shift uh, for the long run? And hence it's, impact on, you know, things which will do well because of that and things which will have to adapt. So shifts like that. Uh, education is a big area where we are watching and, you know, and and uh, and definitely, you know, I know you've been passionate about rural broad- broadband and connectivity and stuff. To me, you know, distance learning really identifies those gaps too. And so long run, you know, f- for us figuring out how through both connectivity and computing, we, we reach those things is, is a long run journey, I think, uh, you know, which we're working on. But I think trying to get those snapshots of where things are, uh, you know, changing and, you know, trying to be data driven and adapt is something. Uh, I do think these are moments of opportunity as well to build the future. And, you know, history shows through times like this, uh, because so many people are facing so many problems, you know, entrepreneurs rethink things and, and solve new things. And so it's, uh, it's definitely uh, worth, worth keeping an eye on. I'm going to ask one more. I, <laughs> they're looking at me, but I'm going to ask one more. Do you see it differently around the world, right? You have access to a lot of data from around the world. Different parts of the world are different states of this. What are you seeing around the world that is giving you indication that, that things are going to change in the long term? You know, one thing which has been striking is 
you know, I don't think in our lifetimes we've seen such a global moment where everyone seems to be going through a shared experience that's unique. Uh, so it's kind of uh, one of the few positives. It feels like a moment for humanity together as a whole. Uh, but, you know, for sure, when you look at places in Asia which have gone through and come back, you know, uh, you know, we do see some shifts in, you know, areas like, you know, as people get used to ordering online and stuff, some of those effects seem to have, you know, some of the shift stays. And, you know, so we see we see trends like that. Um, but I see a lot more common than not, uh, which to me kind of says, you know, it's, uh, there's underlying uh, shows the co commonality of humanity more than how different we are as we are going through a moment like that. So there's more common patterns I see rather than differences. That's great. Well, Sundar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking a few extra minutes. It's always great. We got We got to have you back soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Take care. All right, my thanks to Sundar Pichai for joining us on the Vergecast. Of course, thanks to Dieter as well. Great conversation. We'll be back on Friday with the chat show, and then we've got just an incredible slate of guests coming up for the interview show over the next month or so. I'm so excited for you to hear these conversations. That comes out on Tuesday. You can tweet at me. I'm at Reckless. I love your feedback. I love your ideas for who we should talk to, what kinds of stories we should chase. Always so important. Tweet at me again. I'm at Reckless. Love your feedback. Talk to you soon. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. <laughs>